This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Marina Sirdis, Deanna Troy from Star Trek The Next Generation. You're listening to Trek FM. Theo Greyheart. Welcome to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Justin Ozer, and join with me today is the amazing Amy Nelson. Amy, how are you doing today? Hi, Justin. Thanks. I'm doing great. Very excited to be talking some next generation as usual. How As are usual, you? we're always excited. Oh, yeah, very excited about that. I think we have a great topic today. We have a special guest. But first, we're going to do some listener feedback from the Babel Conference. This was for Earl Grey 277, where we talked about Gambit with Chris Tribucio. Uh, Amy, do you want to read the first one? Yeah, this was a fun episode. So we have Greg Malumby who wrote in and says, that was a very fascinating story regarding Berman covering a statuette of Roddenberry when they were talking about something that Roddenberry wouldn't have liked. I'm starting to think that maybe Berman did take things a little too far in terms of serving Roddenberry's vision, but he was pretty loyal to the end. I've actually never heard that story before. Well, Greg, neither had I, so that was very good to have. And he continues and says, As for Gambit, I really enjoy this episode, but I do agree with the after-school special ending. Still, it was a fun two-parter, and I always love Data literally taking Riker to the brig at the end. Well, Greg, thanks for writing in with your comments. And yeah, Justin, what do you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, that story, first of all, is is great. I mean, just the visual thinking of someone who is like the showrunner has this bust of Roddenberry and is like, let me just, you know, put a blindfold around him. Just the visual is is just fantastic. I love behind the scenes stuff like that. And it's a great story. Yeah. And yeah, Gambit's a great episode. Apparently, there are others who think it was more like an after school special. Oh, well, I still don't think of it that it's way. Just but that's that okay. one little bit. Just that Every, little yeah. bit, yeah. yeah. But I think generally we were getting feedback that people enjoyed Gambit, yeah. which is cool. Yeah. So Jim Stoffel says, so I skipped over six episodes to listen to this podcast. Gambit has always been a favorite of mine and Riker was so good in this. I also love Data and Worf scenes together. The mystery of the story is what drew me into the episode and the big reveal about the weapon was great. I enjoyed all three hosts' opinions. Great job. Well, thanks, Jim. Glad you got so excited when it showed up in your podcast feed that you skipped over six other episodes. That's a high compliment. So we appreciate that. And we're glad that you enjoyed the episode. It is very much. And I sometimes do that, too, where I've got some lined up and then I was like, oh, this one just came in. No, I do that sometimes, too, because, you know, you have these things that stack up and it's like, "Ooh, that's let me do that. And then I'll come back to this later in the day or whatever. So, yeah, but we appreciate that. Thanks, Jim. (laughs) 
Well, Kimberly Lawler says, one element of the episode that I have to disagree slightly with Justin on is that I didn't entirely buy Picard's acting as a pirate. I have seen Patrick Stewart in lots of different roles, but when he's playing Picard, playing an outlaw type, the slouchy body language and rough voice just seems off somehow. I did love the fake fights with Riker, though, and Riker was much more convincing, probably because of the poker player skills. I was hashtag still listening, but like Amy and Justin, since my hobbies tend to revolve around Star Trek, and I have never mountain biked, they couldn't make for a creative episode of a show. Thanks for a great episode. Well, Kimberly, thank you so much. And uh, interesting, because I see Riker uh, as a little bit, I guess, more convincing, I guess. Uh, probably, I think, because he's gets more into the fight scenes where more... Well, for me, I'm more used to seeing him in that confrontational where Picard's always more the diplomat. So to see him, you know, fighting with Riker is a little off for me. But and hashtag still listening. So thank you. Yes. Thank you, everyone who listens to the end when we talk about our bonus questions. If you're not doing that, you really should. But Kimberly, yeah, it's interesting that you say you don't buy Picard's acting as a pirate. I can kind of see that there is something that's kind of theatrical about it. But it makes me wonder if some of the other people on the crew aren't clued into it, but Talera, who is posing as a Romulan, but really a Vulcan, maybe she picks up on some of that, that he's not really acting as he should. And that's why she is kind of like, okay, who are you really? So, but it's, yeah, it's very interesting. I could definitely see that. All right. Well, today we have a special guest with us, uh, Shoab Mirza, who's been on some patrons roundtables and also an associate producer of The Edge. So, Shoab, welcome to Earl Grey. Hi, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's, it's, it's a great pleasure of mine. Oh, it, it's wonderful to have you here. So, since this is your first time on Earl Grey, tell our listeners about your history with Star Trek. Uh, for me, I guess I can say I was I was born in 1987. So, uh, so TNG has a very special place in my heart for for being the series of sort of. Um, captivated me as a little one and like i i learned my first words with it like and energize make it so i would run around my house you know as a little kid just like yelling out like phrases from picard or data or Riker or wharf and just pretending to like you know reenact different scenes from episodes um, and really um, with my dad and my and, and my two older brothers we would watch it like religiously when it came on new episodes and it's one of the more fondest things I have a connection with Star Trek in that way. And sort of grew up in that uh, Berman era. For me, like all those shows, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, all of them, they, like, they, they sort of shaped me, the person I am now. Yeah. And how did you find the network? I don't know. I've, I, I've been thinking about this a lot, but maybe I've been listening since 2014, late 2014. And oh, wow. I think it would be uh, probably, probably the Orb. At that time, with with Matt and Chris, that I started listening to, and I just loved how much they were into the into the material. I just got sucked into there, and then they would talk about you know they have the recaps of all the other shows. So I just got thrown down that wormhole, so to speak, and I've just been st- stuck in that land, the Trek FM world since then. And uh, and then they created the the Babel Conference, went straight in there, and I've had a great time talking with everybody. It's really a great uh, group of people. It's been a lot of fun for me. All right, excellent. Well, so, you know, when we invited you on the show, uh, we asked what you wanted to talk about, and you came up with some topics. And I think there was one that we selected. So 
I wanted to just mention a little bit what it's about and then see why you wanted to talk about this one. So you had put top three moments where a character or characters resolved a conflict that taught you something or influenced your own style of conflict management. So I was curious, you know, in coming up with that topic, why you were interested in talking about that. I could say on like the most personal level as being the youngest of my family, having three older siblings, every day was a conflict like waiting to happen. If whether it was waiting for the washroom to be available or um, for food on the table, I was always the last one. So I learned, you know, very sneaky ways of talking or, you know, acting, just relaxing, waiting. Right. And I'd say a lot of those things I picked up from uh, from my favorite character on TNG is Captain Picard. So like the way he's uh, he's the quintessential leader or diplomat, he'll wait, he'll listen to everyone's opinions and then he'll give his word two cents. Right? And regardless of what anyone else thinks, it's 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 going to be his way or the highway. And I sort of picked those up too. So everyone kind of calls me really, um, really rational, but really stubborn. So if I pick a way that I want to do something, I'll say, no, I think it has to be this way. Because I've listened to all of your opinions, but I think my opinion's a bit better there. Right? So sometimes it does fail me, but, uh, you know, a lot of things I picked up from Picard because... Um, uh, you know, he's he's so compassionate. He he always makes decisions based on what's what's the best thing for his crew. And uh, even on just the individual level, if he's dealing with war for Data or Riker or, or Deanna Troy, whomever it is, or even a guest on the show, he was always really considerate and um, he always thought of the best of the, for for others. And that's like really shaped me as a person. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, and you were saying basically the next generation's been around as long as you've been alive. Yeah. <laughs> so to have that influence while you were growing up and in, I guess in how you think about resolving conflict. So we, we each have three picks and maybe some honorable mentions. Like as, as we go about this, I know you talked, Shoaib, about, you know, why you were interested in this topic, but I'm curious before you give us your first pick, uh, what you would say or like the criteria you used or like kind of how you went about making this selection. Because there's a lot of episodes and some movies to pick from right yeah for me i would just say like the ones that i go back to on like a regular basis uh for whatever reason they just tend to be the ones where they have really great moments with 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 people you know discussing really um difficult subjects and they have to uh confront them and for some reason that's like always touched me like touched a nerve just in my personality so for me here it was like whatever like what are those key messages that I picked up from being a kid watching the show. So that's the picks I had today. Okay, excellent. So tell us about your first pick. Okay, so the first one is, um, I don't know how popular it is, but but this is one that I've always gone back to. It's uh, from season two, uh, Loud as a Whisper. Uh, it's with the, um, it's a famed Federation mediator. Uh, he, he comes on board and his job is to basically uh, to, to mediate this alien conflict and uh, it's, it's, it's one of the most unique episodes of the series where he has this chorus of telepathic individuals. He's deaf himself, so he uses these three people to communicate with, with the world around him. Creates like a theatrical kind of a bubble around himself. And these three people talk, um, whether it's about his compassion or his logical senses or his, um, or his emotions, so he has three people kind of you know, going about his, his duties as a mediator. And that's always touched me on a certain level because um, I found it so, so fascinating. 
And then when he loses his his chorus, that's such a profound loss to him. It's like he lost his uh, his A team. It's as though Picard lost his crew, his uh, first officer and Data and Riker and you know th- those are the people that he like like relies on to get the job done. And you see this other person come in here and he loses his, his basically his closest um, working partners and friends. And I just love the scenes with him and uh, uh, with Picard and especially Deanna Troy, where she has to really work with him and help him to understand that, no, you, you have value still. And uh, like, uh, why can't you use your skills as, as like a mediator to help these people? And uh, she helps him get through that through that sort of paradigm where he's trapped thinking, no, I'm totally useless without my chorus. That's, that's what I've always done. So that's all I'm capable of. And then there's that amazing uh, breakthrough moment where she explains to him, why not use that? um, Why not use their disadvantage as an advantage? And then he has that, like uh, he has the hallelujah moment where he says, Oh, wow. Okay. You're right. And then that part always hits me really, really strong. Yeah, so that's 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 so that's my first pick. It's a great pick, and we have talked about Loud as a Whisper a couple times on Earl Grey. I think Amy and I are big fans of that episode, which I think is is underrated. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of curious, show up because I think there's a a couple of different things going on in that episode. So there's what Riva uses, and he's the mediator. What Riva uses for his own conflict resolution, he has kind of his own way of 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 doing things. But then there's the way that Picard and probably more kind of Troy help to to mediate this conflict that he has within himself. He doesn't know whether to go forward and you know whether they can help uh, to establish peace with these warring people. So is it kind of a combination of those things, or is it more like Riva or? Yeah, I, I would say for sure it would have to be uh, Picard's frustration for sure. You see how he's trying to be so patient with Riva. Even there's a scene where in the I think it's in the observation lounge. Where, uh, where Picard's trying his best to communicate with them, but without the sign language yet and all that, where he, where he had ordered data later. But just really in a most passionate way he could, in a compassionate manner, he, he goes to him, you are not alone. We're here to help you to do this together. And that means so much to me. Like, you know, I guess being, being the youngest kid in the family, so I kind of think, you know, that like you, you don't want to be left out. So you know that feeling where no one's listening to you? But to see Picard really reach out to him, and he wants to help him with all his might, but but there's just that there, there's that divide with him not being able to speak or hear. So that's always really uh, struck me. Yeah, excellent. Well, I saw your reaction, Amy. Does that mean it was on your list? Show up. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, now we know he's going to be my replacement if uh, I need no. to leave yeah. Earl Grey. My gosh, and you said it so eloquently. That was my number one pick, and you must know that I love Deanna Troy, so of course I'm going to choose this is I think her. this is two weeks in a row when someone's mentioned Troy before you did. I know! <laughs> what is going on, people? No, and I'm just, you know, I am absolutely with you, and I'm putting Loud as a Whisper. I think that there's two main, and, and you sort of touched on it, Justin. The two, I, it's a twofer for me. I think Troy with Reva is definitely uh, resolving his inner conflict that he's having, his self-doubt, you know, and like you said, turn a disadvantage into an advantage. And we did do an entire uh, episode on on Loud as a Whisper because I absolutely love it. I've used it in the classroom when I taught communications. Anyways, you can go back and listen to that. But like he's so distraught that, 
you know, Troy is going to one of, I think her strategies is like, well, if you can't do it because it's so important, I'm going to do it. And sort of in a way, sneakily way, it's like, you know, you aren't the only person who can, you know, talk to the warring factions. And, but then it's, he's sort of like, well, yeah, I'm sort of the best person for the job. You know, it's sort of that, you know, giving him com- uh, confidence, you know, sort of by saying, well, I can do what you do. No, I can do it better. You know, that type of back and forth. At least that's how I interpret it. And I really think that um, Troy does a great job uh, with Reva. The second part, I feel that Reva obviously helps the uh, conflict down on Ramadas 3 is because he's creating now this shared language. And so this is the strategy that he's using, that they are going to learn to communicate with him because he no longer has his chorus. And therefore, as a byproduct, they are going to learn to communicate with each other. And so creating that shared language with each other, starting from scratch, ignoring what, you know, the warring factions have already said previously, it's right now. And so I think that that was a really good strategy. And so I had Loud as a Whisper as my first choice as well. Okay, so do you want to keep that as the same first choice or bump something else up? No, I, yeah. Is it my turn? Yeah, go ahead, Amy. (laughs) All right. So good job, Shoab. Uh, You are welcome on Earl Grey anytime. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Awesome. One that I thought of, and I think it's, I think everyone would think of this when they're thinking conflict resolution, is from the episode Reunion. And where Captain Picard is selected specifically by Kempek to, you know, to decide who the new Chancellor of the Klingon Empire is going to be. And because Kempek knows that he is being poisoned. And so Picard is literally in this place where he has to do conflict resolution and find, you know, the arbiter. He becomes the arbiter of succession. And what I think his strategy is, is, and I'm going to mention this a couple times, is he's finding loopholes. And I think in doing conflict resolutions that if you can still abide by the law, but still get what you want and, you know, sort of turn it because, you know, he definitely, Picard does not want to put someone on the throne who is obviously a murderer or, you know, deceitful. And so he needs more time. And so what he uses is the Jajuk tradition, the old tradition instead of the new. And so then that gives him the time for them to do the investigation and find that the House of Doros, you know, really was the one to blame. So what I like that is that he's balancing like the needs of Gowron and Duras to get a chancellor named immediately, plus the needs of the Federation to make sure that we have, you know, the best chancellor in place, that we don't want to bring up this corrupt leader um, to the Klingon Empire. So he's got a lot of conflicts going in. He has to balance the conflict between Gowron and Duras. He has to, you know, balance the conflict between Duras and Worf. I don't know. I thought that he found this loophole with the help of Kalar, um, the Jajuk, that gave him more time and uh, that gave him more maneuverability to um, resolve that conflict. So that is my second choice reunion. 
Uh, your first choice or your oh, second my first choice? choice. Yes, okay. My first choice. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Shoab, what do you think of that choice from Reunion? That's a fantastic choice. It's something that that did not even cross my mind. Actually, I'm I'm impressed. That's that's excellent. Actually, um, well, you're absolutely right. You see, uh, Picard was struggling to keep um, keep his integrity, basically, right, and to protect the the name of Starfleet the whole time. Also, there was the consideration he didn't want Starfleet and Federation to get drawn into some civil war, right? I guess that was the arc of season four, right? Mm-hmm. And then it concluded in um, redemption, right? So, so that was the whole thing where he wanted to keep the Federation out, but he was kind of left with the with the baton and told to pass it to the next person. And he's, like, how am I supposed to do that without you know, without taking into consideration what's the best thing for the Federation? as well so he was kind of dancing that line right that really fine line there that's that's an awesome pick yeah it's a great pick amy like yeah as i was going through these maybe it crossed my mind a little bit but yeah i mean he is i think at his best in this really tense situation where something could go really wrong or the klingons could get really angry with picard and the federation and he manages to kind of weave through this fine line to to be able to do what he needs to do to discharge the duty and also kind of make sure that the right person is there by drawing it out. I mean, maybe if he hadn't drawn it out, who knows what would have happened, but he had the, the, the right way of thinking about it and had these really long-ranging consequences. So I think it's a great pick. So let me go ahead with my first pick. So, you know, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, well... I don't know, maybe there's some obvious choices and maybe I'm going to go with some that might be less obvious. (laughs) We'll see. But like I was going through the list and I had to go back toward the beginning to a moment in Encounter at Farpoint. So as I've said before um, on Earl Grey, uh, I'd seen some things in Star Trek in in the 90s, um, but hadn't really become a big fan until the 2009 movie. And then... Strangely, I went back and watched The Next Generation, but that's because it was my wife's favorite and she'd been a Star Trek fan for a while. So, you know, I go into watching The Next Generation, see Encounter at Farpoint, because I hadn't heard anything from people saying, skip to season three or whatever, which I don't believe in. So I started with the first episode, Encounter at Farpoint, which I really liked, but there's a moment there that really struck me and always continues to strike me with what Picard does. So it's in the scene where, you know, you have Q as a judge. It's, you know, this 21st century uh, court or trial where it seems like it's a really difficult situation. And you can see that, you know, Q is powerful. I think, you know, at one point he, what, freezes Yar (laughs) and it makes it look like she's dead. So, I mean, it's clear this guy means business, right? But, uh, you know, as, as Q is, is asking him about, you know, he thinks that humanity has done all of these crimes, I'm actually going to read it out or parts of it out because I think that there is something really great about this and, and it always kind of struck me. So I'll summarize some of it. I mean, Q is asking, you know, him to look at the charges and Picard gets handed like this little pad and, and Picard says, I see no charges against us, Your Honor. And Q says, you're out of order. And then there are guns that are placed at Data and Troy's heads kind of escalating the tension. And then Q says, soldiers, you will press those triggers if this criminal answers with any word other than guilty. Criminal, how do you plead? And when I was first watching this, I was like, how's he going to get out of this situation? Like, what is is going on? Can he really admit to the guilt of humanity, even if he doesn't believe it? If he says anything else, they're, they're going to be killed. And what always struck me was that Picard says guilty, provisionally. 
And there's something just about that moment that I love where Picard is going to say, okay, I realize you put me in this corner, but hear me out. I, we're, we're guilty, but provisionally. And then, you know, he's intrigued Q and Q is like, oh, the court will hear the provision. And Picard says, we question whether this court is abiding by its own trial instructions, have the permission to have Commander Data repeat the record. And anyway, so they, they kind of go back and forth on that to the point where uh, Picard suggests that they test them to see if humanity is still as they once were. So there's something I love, like there's this really tense situation, this conflict that's going to happen. It seems like people are, are going to, to die, right? And it seems like Q really means business, but Picard is able to kind of deal with what he's being pressured to do, but also make an opening in order to really resolve the conflict and kind of make sure that no more harm comes to anyone. So that's a moment that always struck me. I think it might have been at that moment where I was like, wow, there's something really interesting about this show. So it's a long explanation, but <laughs> Shoab, what do you think? Again, that's an incredible choice. It's something that did not cross my mind either. But uh, but as you say, that that sort of spurs sort of the premise of the entire show, right? When, uh, when Gene Roddenberry had to create like um, filler, basically, if I'm not mistaken, for the first episode and bump it to two hours and he came up with Q and that whole uh, aspect of the show but that totally uh, informed the rest of the series right until the finale right and you see like that you see that trial and Q's antics over the years he's always trying to test the crew in some way or another but that's uh I, I love that pick Dustin for sure yeah, and it, and it is kind of incredible that originally it was going to be an hour and then it had to bump it to two hours. So Gene Roddenberry, you know, came up with Q, probably from Trillane from the original series. But anyway, it's like a great addition. And can you even imagine that episode or the series without Q? It's so important. And it was just like, yeah, well, I guess I got to fill out another hour. Let me bang this out. And it's like, and it was amazing, yeah. right? And I, I guess that's one of those examples that shows sort of the, the raw talent of Gene Roddenberry. Right, which a lot of people forget about, but he had that uh, ability to just spur the moment, think of something, add it to the, you know, to the story, and it would just enrich things. Yeah, you know, I was kind of thinking a little bit about what you had said in your original, you know, proposal for this, like you know, these moments where someone resolved a conflict that you know taught you something or influenced your own style, and I think from even just from that scene, I think that's taught me that no matter what situation that you're put in, there's always a way that you can kind of go forward or try to find some way out of something. It just made me hopeful that, that things can be resolved, you know, under the right circumstances with the right intentions. But Amy, what do you think of my pick? Yeah, great pick. Um, and what I was thinking as you were describing, it's like, you know, Picard, I think as we learn, because he's an archaeologist and he loves to read, like he has a power of words and it's the words that get him out of these, you know, conflicts like guilty provisionally because he knows that word. He knows how to use it. And, you know, it, I'm just like, would I even have the vocabulary, you know, large enough to come up with that, to, you know, even be creative, to use my words to get me out of a situation like that? And again, it goes back to Picard studies his history. He knows, you know, societies and it just, it is a great example of how we can use that skill in our lives. Yeah. And then uh, not to mention, talk about Grace under pressure, right? He's under that immense pressure where this, uh, for all he could, for all, you know, intensive purposes, 
this like godlike being is saying, okay, you have no right to be alive and I'm going to just end all of you. And he's like, okay, we're guilty of whatever you're saying, but it has to be uh, only provisionally and just watch us and, and see what we do and then judge us later. Yeah. And he knows how to intrigue Q as well because Q's like, oh, this should be fun. Let me hear what you have to say. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So Shoab, tell us your second pick. Okay, my second pick is from Family, season four. And this would be on like a personal level. I chose it because because uh, of my relationship with with my older brothers. And it's it's always been sort of like I love you one day, the next day, oh, I, I, I don't want to see you again for... For years and then the next year like oh, how are you brother how's everything going and this one of course it has uh like after the borg experience uh like jean-luc picard's looking for his heart again and he fears that he's he sort of lost himself to the collective and of course this goes into really um really really deep sort of topics about people who get you know violated especially that's something i didn't really obviously understand as a kid but as I got older and I started re-watching again and again and, and certain um, themes and topics started to, you know, come across my mind. And then, uh, of course, I've seen uh, Earl Grey over the years. These things have been brought up, of course, about how um, Picard's dealing with PTSD. And then he basically, he's going to, he's, he's going to his brother, his older brother, to look for help. And uh, his brother is condescending. He's rude. He's arrogant. He's, he's putting... He's putting Picard's all, all of his life and his lifestyle into question. And he's saying, who are you? Look at you. You're some big shot captain of the Starship Enterprise. And look, look at you now. Right now, you're just um, like a hot mess in the mud crying. And then and then you see that moment where Picard goes comes to tears. And that always gets me really bad. Or like deep in the heart where you know that he there was like the, like the conflict and in Jalik Picard's heart and, and his mind, his soul has been, you know, kind of um, released. And, and he's come to terms that it's not his fault what was done to him uh, and that he has to, it's going to take some soul searching and some time, but he'll be able to get through it. And, and, his, and his brother kind of grabs him and says, um, you know, like you're, 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 you're going to be okay because that's who you are. And, and you can always get through things as long as you, as, as long as you remember who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great pick. I so I'm I'm kind of curious, like who is it whose conflict resolution skills are being showcased here in family? Here, you know, I'd I'd have to say it would have to be uh, Captain Picard for sure because he, he was in personal conflict and he sort of because he's such a private person as he likes to say in the first seasons, uh, he knew that he wasn't able to find that kind of help from his crew. So he went out and he went to someone he knew from his childhood. Of course, his brother's the only one who can reach him, right? Like that far down, you know, down, down to his heart, basically. So he goes to his brother and he's, he's trying to play it all cool. Oh, I'm, I'm fine. Oh, maybe I might join the ocean group or something. And then his brother's like, what are you talking about? You're not going to go anywhere else. You're going to go back to Starfleet, aren't you? And then there's his nephew, um, Rene. And that's such a sweet relationship. It also reminds me of my own relationship with my with my nieces and nephews. So for me, it would have to be that aspect of Picard uh, looking for help when he was in conflict, and it and it and it taught me that when you're in like dire straits, you have to you have to have the wherewithal 
to 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 reach out for help and it's okay to ask for help it's it's really interesting that you think of it that way because i mean and i think it's it's valid and it's right to think of it that way but i also think that picard kind of felt like he needed a break and maybe in some way knew that he needed to go there but i think that it shows robert's conflict resolution skills because he knows his brother really well. They've had this contentious relationship. And I think he's deliberately pushing him more and more and more until he can get to the real crux of it. It's it's almost like, you know, the the kind of like arrogance and rudeness and the things that you're seeing in Robert is pushing Picard toward the kind of catharsis that he needs. At least that's that's how I've seen it before. Yeah. That that's a great point. Yeah, I like what you both have said, because I can see, you know, Picard definitely struggling and he has this conflict within himself. And, you know, conflict is not, you know, doesn't isn't always between, you know, multiple parties. You can have self-conflict and and you need to understand that about yourself and know what can you overcome and handle by yourself, and when do you need to reach out? You know, um, I think that there was, you know, he has a counselor on board, he's got Troy, he has Beverly that has known a long time, but what you said, Shoab, just really struck me as like he had to go to someone who knew him longer, and it had to get deeper. And I think, like, when you say when he was violated as much as he was with the Borg, like, that length of time adds a level that just can't be had any other place sometimes. It was interesting in in my own life when I was going through my divorce many, many years ago. I had great friends, great support through church, and but it was I went to my sister, and she was the one who comforted me. And it just was the strangest thing because I'm not that close with this particular sister, but she was the one who was able to comfort me. And so I can see that there. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Amy. All right. So Amy, your second pick. Okay. So my second pick is uh, going to be another twofer. I'm throwing two conflict resolutions in there. I expect Troy to be um, in here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, not actually. Not this time. Uh, this okay. is Ensigns of Command. Do you uh-huh. remember what season that is? Season three, I believe. Three? Yeah. yeah, I think it's episode two. Yeah, real early. Yeah. So this is the one, listeners, uh, where we have the Sheliak conflict come in. And the two uh, conflict resolutions I'd like to point out, um, one with Picard and the Sheliak. And again, I mentioned uh, in Reunion, like Picard finds these loopholes. And I think he does it again with the Treaty of Armands. Uh, finds this loophole and, you know, he's struggling because they only have four days to remove this entire colony that's living on the planet, uh, Tau Cigna 5. Um, and he needs more time to get the colonists out. And so what he does is finds this loophole and says, all right, we've got this treaty. I'm going to abide exactly by what you say. Uh, but I'm going to request a third-party arbitrator, the Grizelas, and they are in hibernation, <laughs> and they won't be out for six months. Like, he, again, expertly 
gets the loophole to give him more time that he needs to resolve this conflict. So again, it's just, we see that over and over again. And I'm like, okay, I need to use that in my life for sure. <laughs> that's that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So my second one is with data. And I think obviously this episode, I think data is the, the ace story here. Um, and you can see data going through so many different strategies and that's what I love and why I chose this because, you know, first he's like, just logical. Here's the facts. Ergo, you need to leave. Uh, and Goshevin and the, you know, people down there, no, we're not leaving. This is our home. What? I just gave you all the facts. So the facts didn't work. Being logical didn't work. So then he's like trying reverse psychology. Well, if you stay, who's going to bury you? You know, and, and this line of thinking and still did not convince him. So he's going through all of these. And then finally, I think data with the help of a couple of the people down there on the planet, he gets to the true issue of why they don't want to leave. And I love what he says. Um, Data says, things can be replaced, lives cannot. Because they were so worried about the aqueduct. Uh, we built this. And again, these are things. And so I think what Data needed to realize to resolve this conflict was get to the heart of the issue. Being logical, using reverse psychology is not going to get especially when they have such an emotional connection, right? And then he gets to the point where he's just running out of time and he uses force. And not saying that I believe that force should be used, but in times, as in this example, he takes out his phaser and destroys the aqueduct. And he's like, listen, I am one android with one phaser. Imagine the Sheliak with their fleet coming in with way more powerful weapons. What are you going to do? And so I think those, uh, what data tries with his strategies and what ends up being successful, uh, is definitely can be used in our conflict resolutions. Yeah. And, and Amy, I think that relates a little bit to what I mentioned last week, which is you can provide all kinds of logical and rational arguments, but the emotional argument is often the one that's most effective. And it's it's also not just like, hey, let me give you this logical argument. Data's telling a story also. And the story is, look at this. I can destroy it really easily. Now imagine in your minds lots and lots of other beings and ships that want to destroy you. It will be even worse. And that's when it when it comes home. So I think that is, you know, a very important point that emotional arguments are extremely important to make in order to be effective in what you want to do. So it's a, a great pick. Both of them are great picks. The Sheliak is interesting because it's kind of like Picard actually has to use his logic with that. He has to find the little minutiae. <laughs> Yeah, but 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 it is interesting because Picard is kind of the flip side because I think he tries kind of the emotional argument like, come on, give them a little more time. That doesn't work. So he has to use the logical, rational, like treaty word-based argument, right? Yes. So he's yeah. using, has to kind of flip what he uses and so does Data, but in the opposite way. So. Yeah, but for, but for Picard, he was sort of forced, his hand was forced. In the beginning, he was trying to communicate with them, trying to open a dialogue. Okay, so this is a situation we have uh, such and such about 15,000 uh, colonists on this planet. And they're like, no, you have to get them off or we're bringing the membership, right? They're, they're, they're bringing their colony members 
over to colonize that planet. And Picard was trying his best to explain the situation. They're like, we're not having it. You better move them or we're going we're gonna to eradicate them. So Picard's like, okay, I need to figure out what's going on now. And I, and I need to read this whole, this whole agreement. So that scene, especially with, with Troy, where they're sitting in the, yes. in, I think it's the, uh, in, in the ready room. And they're discussing, okay, they had like 500 um, lawyers and legal experts. And <laughs> Picard's looking through, he's like, oh, this is just like the gobbledygook and I can't handle this. What is this? <laughs> I know. And Troy's like, well, what do we have? We, you know, and Picard says, thee and me. Yeah. And then that, that whole scene at the end where they're, where he gives them uh, his two cents and then he goes, when, when they're hailing him back, and then he has to go and just. Uh, just run his finger along the the plaque and the, on the bridge. Yeah, <laughs> that scene makes me laugh so hard every time. It's the best. He's totally enjoying this yeah. this moment yes. where he's like, "I gotcha." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great, great pick, Amy. Okay, so for my second pick, this is the one where I thought there's no way that you guys are going to pick this. And I rewatched the episode today, and it's an episode that, at least in the almost two years I've been on Earl Grey, I don't know if we've really talked about. So that's one of the things that interested me. And it's an episode that I really like. Now, as I was watching it, I was like, I was trying to think about, you know, the conflict resolution moment. I think I came up with one, but you'll have to let me know. So this is an episode toward the end of season three, right before the best of both worlds called Transfigurations. So listeners, if you don't remember what that episode is, so the Enterprise D finds this one person craft that's crashed on a planet. This guy has some really severe injuries. And they, you know, beam him up and he goes through this process. He doesn't remember who he is, but his body has all of these amazing recuperative powers and Crusher is, you know, helping him to recuperate. What's amazing about this episode also is that it takes place over like almost two months or something like that. It's really a a long period of time. But anyway, in the course of this, you know, he finds out that he actually has kind of these special healing powers and that his species is becoming something more like these energy beings. You guys remember this episode? Yeah. Mm-hmm. John Doe is yeah, the guy. I yeah. So like, first of all, there was something that really fascinates me about the concept of the episode, which is these people going to another stage of evolution where they're not going to be physical or corporeal. They're going to be, you know, beings of pure energy. They have all of this healing power. But you come to find toward the end of the episode that the government of his planet are really afraid of them, afraid of, you know, what it means. So there's this conflict, the ship comes by and, you know, we're told that they have basically the comparable weaponry and speed to the Enterprise D. So, you know, this could end fairly badly, right? But as this guy, John Doe, I kind of wish they gave different name but whatever i know (laughs) it's 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 the generic name like we don't know who you are but he doesn't get any other but anyway john doe so he finds that he has these powers and the the commander of the other ship somehow does this thing where everyone is like suffocating right but then he kind of heals them all and he comes to the bridge and what i really like is you know the scene where there's this confrontation where you know basically this guy has incredible power at this point and can probably do almost whatever he wants. But, you know, when it comes to this confrontation, the other commander, Sunad, is, you know, readying his weapons. And then John says, you will no longer harm these people, Sunad. And Sunad says, fire upon this ship. And then John just like transports him right over the ship, (laughs) the commander right over, and says, do not be afraid, I won't hurt you. And Sunad says, kill him, captain, he's evil. 
And John says, you can learn from these people, Sunad. They do not fear me. And, and Sunad says, they don't know how dangerous you are, you and the others like you. And then, and I'm going to read out this whole thing, because I, I just kind of like how he goes about trying, I mean, this is somebody who's basically just figured out who he is and what he is, and he's really kind of like calm and gentle about it and really trying to make the best of the situation. So he says, that's what you and the other leaders have maintained for generations, but it's not true. Captain, my species is on the verge of a wondrous evolutionary change, a transmutation beyond our physical being. I am the first of my kind to approach this metamorphosis. They tried to convince us it was a sickness we would never survive, that the pain and energy pulses would kill us. They claimed we were dangerous, so they destroyed anyone who exhibited the signs of the transfiguration. And it kind of goes on from there where they, they have this, this little dialogue, but, but basically he's saying, you know, there's nothing to fear. You can join me. Everyone can, you know, let me show you. And the guy says, don't touch me. And he says, you know, as you wish, but others will listen now that you can no longer prevent me from telling them the truth. Those who are willing will follow me. And basically the guy transports to the other ship and, and leaves. So what I really like about that is, you know, he's gone through this transformation, just remembered who he is, knows that he and others have been persecuted. Three others like him have been killed <laughs> by his planet's government. And what he really wants to do to defuse the situation is like, this is happening. It's important. Like, if you don't want to participate in it, that's fine. <laughs> but, you know, let's not continue this this conflict. So... Anyway, uh, I just wanted to talk about that because I love the episode and I love how he kind of diffuses the situation. Someone who has all this power and could, you know, use it for vengeance. So, uh, Shoab, what do you think? <laughs> I, again, th that's a great example. Just hearing you talk about it was really informing for me too. I never thought of that episode in that way. Just hearing you describe it, I'd say as someone as a visible uh, minority growing up in, in Canada. Hey, <laughs> I'm in Canada, so... I'd say, you know, like when you're when you're the person who's not really looked um, as sort of in the majority and you have different beliefs, you have different culture, different foods and way of speaking even. Like at home, my, my parents, my family speak something else. So to the to the outside world, to the majority in your community, you might seem different. You might seem very strange and they would be like, no, you have to you have to uh, assimilate to our culture. You have to be like us. And you'd say, no, I'm, there is nothing wrong with my culture, right? And this, this sort of exemplifies how, how he used, how John Doe, he used his, he used his abilities to show them that I am someone of, who's looking for peace. And, and I might be different, but, but look at my example here. I'm not, I'm not using my power to hurt you. I'm not using it to manipulate your minds or anything. I'm just showing you who I am. I'm a peaceful person. Uh, the people like us who are going to start developing, right? It's kind of that kind of analogy. They're creating different analogies, but that's something that's sort of speaking to me in that episode, for sure. That there's that there's groups of people that the majority might not know about, but it's important to reach out and try to understand each other, right? And you can't just believe what you're being told by by the majority or the the, the group that's that's in power, especially. You have to reach out. You have to you seek knowledge and learn about others. Well, I, Justin, great pick. And as you were, you know, going over, I was like, did we switch over to the edge? Because I feel like Kelpians in the Ba'ul are being described right here. 
Oh, another evolutionary stage, yeah. Yeah, you know, with the Kelpians <laughs> losing their ganglia and, you know, beforehand being persecuted and being oppressed and, you know, thinking that they're going to die, you know. And Wow, I hadn't even thought of that connection. <laughs> yeah, that's a fantastic I was like, connection. Wait, are we on the edge? Because both <laughs> of you. <laughs> but yeah, what a great connection. Uh, Example of conflict resolution to stand up for a minority group and to have that courage to do that. That is a great example, Justin. Great pick. Thank you. Yeah. And it, and it it's, works. It's one of those episodes I've always really loved, but I think it gets lost because it's right before Best of Both Worlds. So it gets really, really overshadowed by that. But yeah. But I think it's interesting. And I think there's like this interesting idea of evolving to another, you know, point in your species existence which you're right we see with like the kelpians and the baul but it seems like from this episode transfigurations there isn't too much like beyond that 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 kind of covers those kinds of things and i think it's just like a fascinating idea to think of evolving to something that's that's different yeah yeah all right well i thought none of you would pick it (laughs) so (laughs) all right well let's talk about our third picks then so Shoab, your third pick okay mine is uh i think it's a popular episode season seven it would be uh, the pegasus and uh in this one you have um you have uh the admiral pressman and Riker came fresh out of the academy he was uh ensign there aboard a ship and they were performing some experiments which were technically illegal uh, according to a treaty between the romulans the Federation, and he comes aboard uh, Pressman onto the Enterprise, and they've apparently found it. So they go there, and for me, the the conflict here was straight off the bat was Riker. You could see his um, you could see his trepidation meeting uh, Admiral Pressman in the, in the transporter room. He was uh, like visibly shaken and shocked in that moment. Then there's some a lot of red flags start popping up. And then he's confused. Why is the Pegasus still around? And wasn't it destroyed? We saw it get explode. And then uh, the Pressman is really hesitant to open up more information about it. And of course, you have Picard. He's curious and he's command of his own ship. So he's like, I need to figure out what this mission is really about. So he starts pressing further into command uh, for the, it was the Admiral he was speaking to about, I need, I, I need more information about this. And she told him, let it go. Just listen to what he's telling you and do the best you can. But he wouldn't let it go. He went further up the chain. He found some sealed documents about the the court-martial. And Picard was adamant he needed to figure out what was going on. And he found the sealed um, the Judge Advocate General's report about what had happened on the, on the Pegasus. There was a mutiny by the crew. And I always love this episode because you see you see on multiple levels. You see Picard's conflict with Riker, and you see Riker's conflict with with, with the Admiral Pressman. And you see how far Riker had had come from the kind of bright eyed, you know, ensign who that's how they had kind of um, portrayed the situation on 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 the Pegasus through through the way they were explaining things. That he was so um, loyal to his captain. He thought that that, that that meant everything. You had to obey your captain's orders. But now after all these years serving with Picard, he knows that he has to stand up uh, for what he believes in, for what's right. And then he, he comes to that realization at the end when they're on the, um, the Pegasus, um, I think it's the engineering, when they're, when they're grabbing that experimental equipment. 
he goes to him that, you know, if, if things were, if I were to relive it again, I, I would have picked up the phaser and pointed it at you. And, and I would have been one of the, the mutineers. And it makes me always think about my own choices in my life. Like, like I don't want to be on the side where I feel guilty later on. So I, I really want to evaluate my choices. Is this something which, which, which I believe in? Is this something that I'll feel good about later? Right? Is this serving the interests not not only of myself but of those around me and the people that I'm representing? Is this is this who I am? You know? And for Picard, he he he's caught in such an unusual position where this where Riker, someone he's put all all his trust into, his right hand guy, is suddenly conflicted and he's and then Picard is questioning Riker's very integrity in that in entire situation. So that scene in, um, in, in Picard's in Picard's quarters when he's eating food and he's confronting him, he goes that I've researched and I found this information and you, you uh, tell me what happened and I'm asking you. And he actually yells at Riker. He says, I'm, I'm asking you Riker, like what actually happened there? And that the, the, the judge advocate general believed that there was mutiny and that's uh, something was uh, grossly wrong there. But but no one was speaking. Everyone was hush-lipped, you know, tight-lipped and wasn't willing to speak anything. That would reveal the actual truth. And uh, just on many, many levels, this episode just uh, really, really knocks it out of the park for me. Especially on those personal conflict uh, levels where you see Riker at the end. He's like, you know what? I know what the right thing to do is. I need to stand up. For what's for what's right, and I don't care if that means I'm going to be booted out of Starfleet, but I'm going to do the right thing here. That's my third pick. Great pick. What do you think, Amy? When you're talking about Riker in Picard's quarters, and you know Picard's screaming at him, I mean that is a very you know I think pivotal point. Um, and I think in line with the discussion that we're having today, this conflict resolution, like Picard knows the time. And decided this was the time to go from professional to personal. Like, you know, you are not my first officer. You are Riker. You are my friend. You are, you need to tell me, you know, man to man what's going on because I can't get any more information. And so from taking that from the professional, from the workplace, to the private, to the personal, I think is a very good strategy. And and I think has to be used judiciously because if you're always going to the personal when you're at a workplace environment, uh, that can be negative and bite you in the butt later down the line. But I think if you do use that strategy and use it judiciously, like because you have the relationship that you can go personal, that it is a very effective strategy. Great, great point. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I'll add here that I had a moment from the Pegasus in my honorable mention. So I'll just mention it briefly. But like what I thought from the Pegasus was actually the scene toward the end where the Romulans have sealed them inside this asteroid, I guess it is. And they're trying to think of options like, can we blast our way out? What can we do? And and Riker reveals that there's the cloaking device. And, you know, Pressman's like, you ended your career. And and then Picard figures out what it's all about. But so there there's like this conflict that's going on. And the way that Riker resolves it is by telling the truth. <laughs> and I always love that when you see that, like, okay, I'm just going to tell the truth. 
whatever may happen, like that's the only way we're going to get out of this alive. So got to risk it. So that's, you know, related to what you were talking about and thought I'd mention it. Yeah, right. Exactly. So that was that, that, that moment where he had the, the, the light bulb moment. He said, okay, this is a moment where I have to come clean or, or, or we might die here. Right. It was yeah. like, what are, what are you going to choose? Right. Well, and thankfully, we have the extended version on Enterprise yeah, series. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I, you know, every time we talk about the Pegasus, I wonder if someone's going to mention that. Yeah. I yes. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, um, <laughs> so Amy, your third pick. Okay. So for my third pick, um, I wanted, not that I wanted, I watched this episode recently and it just totally fit in, but in a way that is so different than what we've been talking about. I think previously we've always talked about a member of the crew, well at least I have, having a conflict with a third party, like Troy and Reva. Like we don't know Reva from Adam, right? He's just the guy of the week or say Kempek and Picard or Data and Goshevin, right? My third pick is Haven. And yes, it mm-hmm. is a Troy pick. Um, yay! <laughs> yay! But Troy is having a conflict with people that she knows. And I think that is completely different. And in Haven, this is the one where she is engaged to Wyatt and they are planning their wedding. So this isn't a professional in any way, shape, or form. This is not a mission. This is a pure personal. And as we know, life comes up with a lot of conflicts in our personal lives. So I like this because Troy has to deal with so many conflicts, like the conflict of Will and her. That is a very, very deep conflict. Um, You know, Will is not handling this very well. And uh, she has her mother on board, which adds a whole bunch of other conflicts. And then we have Wyatt and his parents, and they're trying to plan out the wedding. And are they going to be naked or not? Is this going to be a traditional Beta Z? It's going to be human. And Captain Picard's going to write all of the bickering that Data loves so much. And Troy, I think, as being ship's counselor, has the added pressure of that she needs to keep it together. And I think that she just personally feels that and professionally feels that as her expectation. But at this moment, she bursts out. And again, listeners, I don't know if this is a good strategy or not, but losing your temper and bursting out of control and running out of the room caused everyone. And again, this is only going to work for people that know you and love you and care about you because Troy got so distraught. Then that was Lwaxana and Wyatt's parents. And they all decided to get to a compromise and resolve the issue and decide it's going to be partial. You know, bride and groom will be naked. Everyone else is clothed and blah, blah, blah. Like they get to this compromise because of Troy's outbursts. So it is a strategy, and I thought that I would mention it, and she performs it brilliantly. What do you think about that, how I twisted that? Yeah, that was a great pick. Uh, that actually reminds me of like my own family get-togethers, when, when it's my aunts, uncles, cousins, everyone together, and everyone has their own opinions, everyone's arguing, everyone's uh, bantering along. 
and then someone gets triggered somehow, and then it becomes a huge mess with everyone, you know, yelling, screaming, and then one person storms off. Like, no, you have to go after them. You can't let them get upset and walk off like that. And then that's exactly uh, th- th- that's an awesome pick, though. And, t- and Troy obviously does a great job. That whole scene where the um, where they have that uh, tradition where they where that where, where they bang that gong. Right? Every, yes. every time they eat, I love that scene. It's so annoying, <laughs> but but it just drives that point where she's just sitting there trying to talk. Everyone's trying to talk, and Data's giving his, you know, he's giving his uh, a digital version of everything. Oh, so so this is yes. what this means, and you strike it every time mm-hmm. someone eats, and yada yada yada, right? <laughs> I know it's so funny. At the end, Data's like, "Please continue the <laughs> please continue, yeah, please continue the petty bickering." Petty bickering. <laughs> yes, that's right. It's, yeah, that's a great pick, Amy. I love that episode. One of my favorites in in season one, and. Yeah, I think Troy is, I mean, the the consequences aren't like somebody's going to die. But, I mean, these personal conflicts are important, how they influence your life. And this is going to affect, you know, whether she marries this guy and the rest of her life and all of that. So she, I think she does find a way. It's like she's threading a needle, like we've seen in some of these other picks. Like, all right, guess I have to go through with this, but maybe I really don't want to. So she's kind of going back and forth until she hits the right place. But I think she handles it pretty well overall. All right, excellent. So for my third pick, it's going to be one that, uh, you know, maybe a lot of listeners might think about, and it's from The Wounded, which is the season four episode that first introduces the Cardassians. You have Captain Maxwell, who's kind of made it his mission to, what he sees is trying to expose what's happening with the Cardassians providing weapons. And so, you know, the Enterprise, with the help of the Cardassians, meets up with Maxwell's ship. And there's this confrontation. They don't know what's going to happen. Maybe the ship will have to be destroyed or whatever. And it's O'Brien who, you know, thinks of this idea like, okay, I can I can beam in through their shields because of this, you know, special, I don't know, gap of time or whatever. So he figures out a way and, you know, to surprise Maxwell and kind of talk to him on a personal level because we found out that O'Brien served under Maxwell before. I think he served, uh, you know, under him in the Cardassian War. So they have this, you know, long history. And it's interesting because in this conflict, it's like Picard can't really get him to see reason. Maxwell doesn't really respect him. You know, there's that scene in the ready room where he's like, oh, it's getting kind of musty in here. You know, it's like so Picard doesn't have this history. He can't quite, you know, do his thing. But it's O'Brien who comes and, and beams over and there's that great scene. I know we've talked about it before, but... O'Brien says after he surprises Maxwell, like, I had the thought that if we could talk, we could figure a way out of this mess. And Maxwell says the way out of this is clear. Talk to Picard, get him to board the damn ship. And O'Brien says he won't do that, sir. Maxwell says, but he'd turn his weapons on a Federation starship to protect the enemy? I don't believe it. O'Brien says he will count on it. And then Maxwell kind of shifts a little bit and says, what the hell has happened to this war? O'Brien says, sir, there is no war. The war is over. And Maxwell says, you're wrong. The Cardassians live to make war. O'Brien says, that's what everybody thinks about the enemy. That's probably what they think about us. And Maxwell says, we're not the same at all. We don't start wars. We don't make surprise attacks on manned outposts. We don't butcher women and children in their homes. Children who never got the chance to grow up. You were with me on Setlick. You saw what they did. And O'Brien says, yes, sir. Maxwell says, and kind of shifts. It's kind of interesting in this scene because Maxwell is shifting. It's not like, oh, O'Brien, you're crazy or like, I won't listen to you. But it's like O'Brien is kind of responding and kind of like, you know, gradually moving him in a certain direction where he's thinking less about, you know, getting Picard out of there and escalating this conflict. 
And he takes it to a personal level. So Maxwell says, what was the name of the fellow who always hung around you like a puppy? O'Brien says, Will Caden, Stompy. Maxwell says, Stompy, as cool under fire as a mountain lake. Yes, sir. He died at Setlick, didn't he? Yes, sir. What was the name of that song of his, the one he always sang, the one I liked? And he sings The Minstrel Boy, which we all remember. And they sing it together, right? And they kind of go back and forth on that. And then Maxwell finally says, I'm not going to win this one, am I, Chief? And O'Brien says, no, sir. So I just love in that scene where O'Brien is like, okay, let me try to make a personal connection. He beams over, you know, and the first thing Maxwell goes to is like, ah, what you've got to do is talk to Picard and convince him to, to, to stop this, to get out of it. And, and then, you know, O'Brien is assuring him like, Picard will blow up your ship if he has to, to protect the treaty and, and this situation. And then it kind of shifts to a more personal level where they're talking about their war experiences and kind of bonding around that. And then it kind of shifts again where they, you know, talk about somebody they both knew who, who died and and shifting to this this song and then he's reflecting and he's like i'm not going to get what i want out of this am i i just love that you're seeing o'brien with his like kind of own special conflict resolution which is just like let me just talk to him let me you know share our experiences like talk him down and that gets them out of the situation without any further bloodshed so there's something about that that i really like but there's something that's very simple about it make a personal connection and i think you know, when I've heard about different like peace negotiations that have been successful, a lot of times the secret to the success is making a personal contact, a personal association and connecting on that level to actually lead to a conflict being resolved. And that's kind of what O'Brien's doing here. So I just really love that a lot. What do you think, Shoab? Again, I'm so like impressed by your choices, all <laughs> both of you. Uh, it's that's that, that's a great pick. And that scene with um, with the captain and um, sorry, I forget his name of the um, was it the Phoenix of the Phoenix Maxwell yeah. Captain Maxwell. Sorry, yeah, he what an incredible actor too. Such, such a great mm-hmm. performance, and then um, Chief O'Brien as well. Like I think that was a standout uh, episode for him, especially that kind of shaped his character going on to Deep Space Nine. And of course, he's one of my favorite in Deep Space Nine as well. That scene really was great though. Yeah, I think you're right with, you know, making that personal connection. And, you know, O'Brien doesn't change what Picard is going to do. Like, those are the facts. And, you know, it's his tough love. You know, I mean, he could have just said, you're wrong. And this is Picard and you don't know him. And deal with it, you know, the tough love, which sometimes works, you know, but he comes at it so personable, like you said, and so tender and, you know, lets Maxwell go at his own pace of going all defensive to, do you remember the time? And, oh, I've lost this, you know, like Maxwell goes at his pace. O'Brien is just there patiently with him just more of as a shoulder, as a sounding board, which is a great, great strategy. That's a great pick. Yeah. And I mean, it makes me think also of, I heard a podcast recently about this guy who was a hostage negotiator. And basically one of the most important things he said in kind of successfully de-escalating those kinds of situations is actually listening to what the grievance is of the person that's taken the hostages, right? And, and that's kind of what O'Brien is doing here. He's like, you know, let me just listen to what you say, you know, 
yes, you know, that happened, you know, yes. And he's kind of like leading him through this and, and he's being a sympathetic ear. He's not coming on and be like, Maxwell, what the hell are you doing? This is wrong. You're going to get everybody killed. That'll just raise the temperature, right? But he lowers it by saying, by kind of allowing Maxwell to say what's on his mind, what he's frustrated about. And sometimes in doing that, that can gradually like deflate like the frustration or the anger and it just lead to more reflection, which is what happens. So. Right, because like O'Brien's uh, like using leverage his his relationship with Maxwell, right over the Cardassian War, and they, and they they know each other, so he's bringing it up. Oh, you know that we're not that way. The enemy's that way, right? Mm-hmm. We don't start wars. We don't murder innocent people. And uh, of course, O'Brien's like, I know what you mean, but at, at this point in time, you've you've lost the battle, right? You have to stand down. Well, and they have a shared language, which we talked about from the very first. Like, you know, what was that guy's name, Stumpy? What was the song they sing? That was the shared language where they were communicating. Right. And then, and then, it, and then it brought him back a few steps where he was so heated and so angry right, by, by all, the, um, all those triggers that the Cardassians were stockpiling weapons. They were, they were using those, those cargo ships to take weapons to different bases and he's like we got to find them we got to destroy them we got to reveal it to everybody and of course picard wasn't having it he's like we have to balance the line between you know um flaring up conflicts with everybody right just because we suspect something and you know, keeping the peace and so obviously maxwell was having his own dilemmas with stuff having lost his family that was sort of the that was the emotional heart of his pain Right, which is what which is what Picard kept bringing up. He's like, maybe he's hurt because his family was killed by the Cardassians, but uh, but but even O'Brien was saying, I don't think so. He 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 dealt with it in his own way, but he was not that kind of person. But but then in the end, like like you guys have said already, but he had to reach him at a personal level as his friend. That 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 this is not who you are. Like, what would your family think? Obviously, definitely. All right. Well, we've gone over our three picks. I don't think we have honorable mentions left at this point, actually. <laughs> We've gone through a lot of great picks. Uh, so let's go ahead with our final thoughts. So, uh, Shoab, your final thoughts on what we've talked about here today. My final thoughts for today. Okay, let's start a conflict, shall we? Okay, no. Sorry. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no I, start a conflict and resolve it right here. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm so like honored to have Star Trek in my life, honestly. Uh, it shows like just, just hearing each of your picks. I, I, I realized I started even more. I realized today after hearing the, our discussion today that how much it's it's affected me on a personal level. When I've one in in my own personal like day to day stuff that happens and how I um, how I'm very polite with people. Right? I try to start the day really well with everybody I meet. You know, I greet everyone. I I, I deal with things as they happen, but but I like always try to find what's what's the middle ground. Right, for every conflict that might arise. And I try not to jump to conclusions about others. I always think, um, or I try to think anyways, I can't be too arrogant about that, but this, how, do, how do you help others? Basically, like serving others is very important. Right? And that's something that I've learned from, from, from watching Star Trek, honestly. And I think that's a great way also to, to help people and yourself uh, to cope with conflicts. Is if you're always looking out to, for the other guy too, and not just for yourself, then you're kind of in a sort of in a in a way sort of preventing any conflicts, you know, in the in the long run. 
All right. Excellent. So Amy, your final thoughts? Yeah, this has been a great discussion on something that I definitely need much improvement on. And I think we all do is how to resolve conflicts because conflicts are going to show up in our life. And like, you know, we see on the Enterprise D and it can be mission related and, you know, we're going to have conflicts in our professional life or at the workplace. And how do we uh, deal with conflict with strangers or with someone who are acquaintances and then also, of course, in our personal lives and including ourselves personally that was touched on with Brother and Picard. Um, I, I think that we do get to see a lot of strategies used and that we can very easily take them into our personal lives and seeing how they uh, work in one situation might give us you know, more encouragement and courage to try it in our own lives. And there's definitely, I have to agree with you, like having this discussion just makes me feel that much more how I love the next generation and seeing these characters that we know and love go through these experiences and then translate it and put it into our lives. So I thank you, Shoab, for coming on and just coming up with this great, great discussion. I think it's been fabulous. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so for my final thoughts, I mean, when you brought this topic to us, Shoab, I was definitely very intrigued by it because, I mean, I think that I've always been interested in how conflicts are resolved in Star Trek and in TNG, but I hadn't really thought of you know, the, some of the different moments. And I think it's quite interesting when you take a look at our picks, you know, there are conflicts between fellow Starfleet officers, between family members, um, you know, between Picard and an omnipotent being, uh, between, you know, one member of a species and another that's going to a higher evolutionary state. I mean, it, it's just one of those things about Star Trek that's great is that you get to see kind of a lot of different varieties of of the theme and how conflicts can be resolved and and I think it's really important because you know I I think conflict has been something that's been part of human interaction and human society for many thousands of years maybe millions but I mean it it's something where I think we can always improve and you know there's this perception that there's you know quite a lot of of conflict that is happening and quite a lot of maybe misunderstanding and and things that are leading to you know tensions possibly escalating and i think there are some things we can learn from from star trek because those are things that happen you know a lot of times between individual people and it's it's important for us to think about how we can resolve conflicts in in our own lives so it's been a really great discussion i've enjoyed it a lot i think it is quite interesting that we didn't choose anything from the movies I thought about it, but I didn't have a pick. I happen to have a pick. But um, listeners, let us know your favorite conflict resolution moments or what you thought about our picks. Also, if you have some from the movies, that would be great. So yeah, it's been a great discussion. So thank you, Shoev, for being a guest on Earl Grey, bringing us this great topic, and let our listeners know where they can find you online. Well, thank you for, for having me. I really appreciate it. You've been a really great host. Uh, well, you can find me on the, on the, on the Babel conference. I'm usually poking around there. I, lately, I've been kind of busy with uh, stuff, but I always check messages, the, the new posts and such. I'm on Twitter as well. Uh, my handle is Schwab A-M, S-H-O-A-I-B-A-M. And I'm on there regularly. I kind of follow a lot of people in the Trek FM community and just friends in, in general. 
just talk about Star Trek, to talk about my own, uh, my own interests, stuff like that. I, it would be great to connect with people. So do reach, reach out to me. Very good. Yes. Yep, I can vouch. Nice guy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. It's a uh, it's a lot of work to be nice, but 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 in, but in, but in the long run, like we're talking about today, it's uh, uh, it's 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 well worth it because you make a lot of great friends. That that makes life a lot sweeter, for sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on Earl Grey today. Thank you. All right. So a preview of next week's episode. We will be having Joe Keegan on to guest talking about the blueprints of TNG. So that should be quite interesting, right, Amy? Yes, I'm very excited. I have a lot of questions and things to discuss next week because I've never read blueprints before. So yeah, I need to break mine out, and uh, they're sitting over there on the shelf, and I just need to break them out and uh, and take a look at them. But yeah, listeners, I think that's going to be a lot of fun and something that Joe was very interested in talking about. Yeah, so listeners, if you have those blueprints, crack them open and see what you observe and follow along with us next week. Excellent. Well, it's been so much fun talking about our favorite conflict resolution moments in TNG today with Shoab Mirza, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Earl Grey. Yeah, this is the part where I put in my notes... Well, this is a nice after school special. Like, <laughs> after school it, special. <laughs> you know, it just sort of wraps just up everything. <laughs> Primitive culture. A look at history and culture through Star Trek. You know, imagine if that had have happened in the next generation in season two, that suddenly you'd had you know, an older Spock turn up and you'd had Scotty come through his Dyson Sphere or whatever and then old McCoy's rattling around and they take over and they're basically the front... They come to hijack the Enterprise They come to again. hijack the Enterprise, yeah. And, 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 and <laughs> you know, Spock goes... Yeah, Spock goes, we're going to we're going to recover Captain Kirk from the Nexus or whatever, you know? And, and imagine that. Imagine if it becomes that. I mean, you'd be watching it thinking, what is going on? Literary Treks. If there's some really great artwork in these that I, you know, I don't think we, we give it enough praise for that. I almost want to take that panel and remove all the lightning and the pizzazz and all that stuff out of there and just <laughs> put them in a disco room and it would almost look like they're dancing. Yeah, it's just a Star Trek dance party, like Kirk's practically dabbing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's what I was just thinking. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Warp 5. The first joke in the film that I thought was truly funny was the long-distance call that he was getting from Lon Chaney's character, and he's turning into the wolfman on the phone, right? And the guy is like, why are you calling long-distance just to have your dog bark at me on the phone? It's like, I I think that's a great line. I think it's really funny because it's like, you can't see what's going on. Because long distance in that day and age would have been like freaking expensive, right? And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all of these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You will find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone iPad or Apple TV or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others to find the show. Um, hashtag still listening. Justin, do you use Apple TV? 
Uh, is this a bonus question for me, Amy? <laughs> well, I'm sort of in the mix and we can use it as a bonus question okay. or not, but I, I'm deciding whether to do, I currently have the fire stick, but I think I need something stronger because I'm going to be getting live TV streaming services. So mm-hmm. I was debating whether to do the um, fire box TV or the Apple TV. So I was just wondering what you had. I, I don't have it at my house, but at my mother-in-law's house, uh, uh, she does have it. And yeah, basically there's like a little box that you hook up and, you know, we have access to lots of different different apps from there. Okay. So, so you're familiar with it? It works? A little, little bit. Yeah, okay. it works. <laughs> all right, listeners, give me your best expert opinion, all you But yeah, I'm not an people. expert to recommend what you should use, Amy. <laughs> so, uh, well, if you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it will come right up. So, Amy, I guess I will ask a bonus question. Okay. So, you know, I was originally thinking of maybe asking you about a moment where you had to resolve a conflict, but you talked about that during the show. So, instead, let's ask... Now I have to come up with something on the fly, as <laughs> I thought we were... Well, we since I did that. share mine, Justin, why don't you share your story? Oh, you want me to story? share a story that I have? Yes. Oh, that's quite interesting. Um, so, I mean, you shared something personal. I'll share something personal, too. Okay. And listeners, if you're listening this far, yeah, it's personal. But this is um, definite bonus material. <laughs> so, uh, you know, some years ago, the first girlfriend that I had, she was having some mental issues, and basically, there was a time where she was threatening to kill me. <laughs> so, oh. yeah, quite quite serious. And I, I don't know, like you know, it's the kind of thing where where it's like. I don't know, in that moment, you just have to kind of, what's really weird is I would think I'm the kind of person where I'd be like, okay, let me just, you know, listen. And, but like, there's all this stuff that I'd been through. And actually my first instinct was to get angry, like really angry, Mm. which very rarely happens for me. Very rarely. Yeah. Knowing you, that's not your first. My wife's known me for 15 years. She's actually never seen me like really angry ever. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but somehow like I got through that that situation there was just something that was kind of startling about that and you know this girlfriend at the time had like a, I a pair of scissors or something that she was threatening me with and i was oh like gosh, i am not going to have any of this this is just like you're not even going to do this so yeah wow serious stuff but but yeah and somehow it kind of diffused that and it was i'm still alive <laughs> so <laughs> crazy oh right anyway wow. Truly bonus material. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you for sharing with us, Justin. Yeah. I think it's interesting, like in, in this podcast, like we don't set out to tell personal stories, but it just naturally happens. And I think all three of us, you know, did that today. And I think it's yeah. it's great because that's how we connect, you know, as as human beings. So, yeah. Well, and I think that's what makes Star Trek so relatable. Like it's you relate it to your life and just as we all did today. Yeah. Yeah. So, so go ahead. Is it my turn? I, I'm trying to remember what we did last. Did we do email? 
no, no. But did you do the part about the Babel Conference? No. I did. You did? Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, if you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us, and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter at TrekFM and on Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM. Oh, shoot. Now i got to think of one. Okay. Uh... <laughs> this is what happens when I don't choose my picks far enough in advance. <laughs> well, you wouldn't have known mine. Um, let's well, see. I okay. always take it from mine, actually. But... Oh, that's true. That's true. Okay. Oh, I got one. So, Justin, where can people contact you when you are not an arbitrator of succession? Oh, my God. The fate of the Kul Klingon Empire is by hands. What should I That's do? That's right. <laughs> well, you know, when I'm not uh, traveling to the future after we've made first contact with the Klingons and somehow serving as the arbiter of succession, maybe after Picard, maybe it becomes a tradition. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. Still tweeting out my season seven rewatch of the next generation, but like I said last time, it will be finished before Picard airs. So, <laughs> and you can also find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. So, you know, there are, before you go real quick, there are some people who just recently started a TNG rewatch before the Picard series. I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't even know how you're going to get through that. One a day, six months, you know. What we don't know when it's coming out, it could come out in September. Cross my fingers. That's unlikely based on their shooting schedule. I know, <laughs> but I'm saying. Well, but then if it's released in September, they'll just step it up two or three episodes a day. Anyway. Okay. So, Amy, where can people contact you when you're not in the midst of turning into a being of pure energy? Oh, I was going to do that, <laughs> but not yet. It's painful, yet. Amy. It's really painful. Yes. <laughs> Well, when I'm not doing that, you can find me here on the network where I host The Edge with my good friend Patrick Devlin, and that is about Star Trek Discovery. As I mentioned earlier, I thought we got transported to The Edge all of a sudden when we were talking about transfigurations. You can find me over on the Fandom Podcast Network talking The Orville on the podcast named Discoville. And so we go back and forth between the Orville and Discovery. You can find me on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson. And I am also in the Babel Conference. So best place is to find me there. I wonder, Amy, if you could turn that into like a three-show hybrid, like Discoville Picard or something. We <laughs> we have ideas working, yes, right. on the Fandom Podcast Network, yes. All right. Well, if you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. And you know what? I'm going to do something that we had done before, an associate producer challenge. So I challenge a listener, if they've listened this far, reward yourself by signing up at the $25 a month level and selecting Earl Grey as an associate producer. You should do it. Well, and it's interesting because one of those perks, you might become a guest host. We cannot right. guarantee that, Amy. No, but. we can't. But if we look at who our guests have been, we do pull from associate producers as of today. Show that is quite true. It probably increases your odds. <laughs> Joe, 
Chris Trebuzio. Like, I'm just saying. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 So if you've listened this far, head on over (laughs) to (laughs) patreon.com slash trekfm to get all the details. And we would like to take this opportunity to recognize our fabulous current associate producers, Norman Lau, Justin Ozer, Michael Huter, Thomas Appel, Chris Trebuzio, Joe Keegan, and our newest, Jim McMahon. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Great joy and gratitude. Guilty provisionally. <laughs>